Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler. I lead Faith Christian Center right here in Austell, Georgia. Thank you for tuning in today. I believe today's message is going to equip you and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. As you listen, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up to the message, apply it, and I'll talk to you after today's message. Well, open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. As I shared a few weeks ago um, in July and going into part of August, I am doing two different series at the same time. So 9 a.m. has one series going on, and 11.30 has another series. And so we started this series last week called Beach Life, Life on Vacation. Beach Life, Life on Vacation. So Mark chapter 6, let's do a brief review before we jump in to where we're going today. And if you want to get, follow along with my notes, you can go to the Version Bible app under Events and more, you'll see where you can see my notes for today, or you can simply open the Faith Christian Center app, and on the third link, you'll see my notes, you can follow along with me. So Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all the things, what they had done, what they had taught, and he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat, and they departed into a desert place by ship privately. As we shared last week that Jesus was going around teaching and preaching, he got to the city where he was from, and he could not do many miracles or mighty works, it says in King James, because of the unbelief in the area. So Jesus, the Son of God, couldn't do great miracles in a certain area. It didn't say he would not, it says he could not, and the reason was the unbelief of the people. So Jesus kept on teaching. Why? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So he's come by in the unbelief through teaching, but he also takes these 12 apostles and sends them out to preach and to teach. He's combating the unbelief. So these 12 apostles come back and say, hey, it was great. Here's what we preached. Here's what we taught. These people got healed. These people got set free. Demons left people. So they're giving him their status update, and as they're doing that, because you no know, people are always coming to Jesus, but now that these 12 have gone out to preach, people come to see the 12 now too. So these are 13 people who are highly sought after, and they're trying to tell Jesus everything that happened, but people keep coming in. They're trying to have a meal together, but they can't even get through the meal because people keep interrupting, and they need one of them or all 13 of them. So Jesus says, hey, come with me and take a break. So Jesus took these guys on a mini beach vacation. He says, you guys are tired, you need a break. But notice one of the things he said, he didn't just say, go on vacation, I'll see you in a little bit. He says, come with me on vacation. He said, why is that important? Mark 3, 13 through 15 tells us when Jesus called these individuals and picked them. It says, Jesus went up to the mountain and he called unto them whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained 12 that they should be with him, that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. So yes, they were called to preach. They're called to heal the sick. They're called to cast out devils, but their primary call was to be with Jesus, right? So that's why come with me and take a break is important. He doesn't just go take a break. Take a break with me. Their first and highest calling was their relationship with Jesus. Some translations point out that Jesus picked them to be with them as his friends. See, Jesus lived life in a community of friends. If anybody had a right to be a loner, it's the Son of God. He made everything. He has a right. Just like, you know, you people are trifling. You are fickle. You are sometimey. Why do I want to be around you today? But if Jesus, Son of God, who was perfect, did life in community, what's our excuse? Well, you know, there's fake people out there. Well, yeah, you can be one too. 
See, Jesus set the example of how we live our life. He did it in community. He didn't do it by himself. He did it in community. Even when he ascended into heaven, he handed the leadership of the church to a group. We're not supposed to do things as individuals. We're supposed to do things together. We are better together. And so he said, come with me and take a break, which reminds me of Matthew chapter 11. So let's go there and finish our review. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come unto me. Notice, not just follow me, but come to me. All ye that labor, and that word means to grow weary, tired, exhausted with toils and burdens and griefs, and are heavy laden or overburdened. And notice what Jesus promises, and I will give you rest. Rest flows from Jesus. This is the same rest that he told the apostles of in Mark chapter 6. Jesus saying, come to me, I'll help you recover your strength. I'll cause you to rest from being overburdened and exhausted. Come to me, and I'll cause you to be refreshed. The Passion Translation says it this way, are you weary carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me, I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. An oasis is a fertile spot in a desert where water is found. It is a pleasant or peaceful area or period in the midst of a difficult, trouble, or hectic place or situation, which lets me know that you can have a hectic season in your life, you can have a rough season in your life, but you can still be at peace because Jesus is your oasis. That lets me know that what goes around you does not have to dictate what goes in you. That if you come unto Jesus, you can be at peace and be refreshed even though everything else is trying you. See, there are many times when we need to take physical vacations and departures from the normal routine. There's good. Jesus did that. He even took his ministry team on a vacation. We see that Jesus literally did that with his team of friends, but we can't live on vacation, or can we? Because it's great to go to your favorite vacation spot. It's great to go to the beach. It's great to go to your favorite resort, but, you know, one day you have to check out of that resort. You have to check out of that hotel. You have to come home. And some people on the last few days of vacation, they begin to dread the normal routine. Oh. I have to go back home. Summer is still here. The kids aren't back in school yet. What am I going to do with these blessings from God? <laughs> oh, no, I have to go back and work on Monday morning. My boss could be crazy. He, he's got issues. And you begin to dread things, and now your last few days of vacation are ruined because of your expectation of what's going to be when you get back to normal life or real life. But if Jesus is your oasis... And if rest flows from Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're physically on vacation or not, you can still receive the benefits of vacation when you walk with Jesus. See, we go on vacations to rest, to be refreshed for relaxation and recreation, and we should go on vacation from time to time. You may say, well, I'm not interested in going on vacations, but your family may need one. Not saying they need one from you, but they do need vacations. (laughs) Because one of the things, especially if you take vacations with just your kids, and your kids are there with you, you can see them uninterrupted by the school day, uninterrupted by your work life, and you can focus everything on them, and you may notice some things going on in their life you didn't notice before. Things you can speak life to, things that you can encourage, things that you can correct, because you didn't have that uninterrupted time with them before. So vacations are necessary for families with kids, and then necessary for married couples. Married couples, you should take vacation with just you. You should have vacations. Well, pastor, what do you do on a vacation? You can fill in the rest. 
another message. Family series coming up this fall. So we talked last week about resting. And so we said the acronym we used for rest was, one, recognize Jesus. Recognize who he is to you. Recognize that he's with you, that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Number two, expect Jesus. The Bible tells us to wait on him or expect on him. So in our time of prayer, we don't just wait and go, well, hopefully he shows up. No, we expect him. We're looking for him. Because as we expect him, our strength is renewed in exchange. And we mount up as wings like eagle and we take off. Although we may be tired or weary, we have renewed strength because we expect him. We said, S, we'll spend time praying in the Spirit. Isaiah told us that this is the rest where the weary will rest. When you take time to actually pray in the Spirit, you'll be refreshed. I'm not saying pray five seconds in the Spirit. Well, see, I prayed in the Spirit. Nothing happened. No, you need to take some time and pray in the Spirit. You know, this is Atlanta. There is traffic everywhere. Not just Monday through Friday anymore. Saturday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. This is Atlanta. This is a traffic capital. So instead of you being frustrated running into traffic, just know that is part of your everyday routine. So you can even be the person that you get frustrated because of traffic and it was so slow, so you get to work all upset and mad. People are like, oh, what's wrong with you? Oh, traffic. They don't think you're crazy. There's traffic every day. So you can either just be frustrated every day of your life or you can say, you know what? Yep, I'm running into traffic. But I'm taking this time right now. I'm going to pray in the Spirit a little bit. And I'm going to be refreshed whenever I get to my destination. So you need to spend time praying in the Spirit. And yes, you should spend time in the morning, but also throughout your day. Part of learning to rest is learning the art of getting away throughout the day to receive rest from Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that you have to take five hours at every single turn that when you need rest. You have to learn how to step back just on the inside and say, I receive your rest, Jesus. There are times in the morning at night where you can spend long, uninterrupted times with him. But throughout the day, you have to learn how to recognize him, expect him, Spend some time praying in the Spirit, and then T, take time to do this daily. Rest. Recognize them, expect them, spend time praying in the Spirit, take time to do this daily. So, well, Pastor, what if I miss one day? Don't miss two. It's as simple as that. You miss one day, don't miss two. We have to form these habits of resting in Him. Now, let's go to verse 29. We'll spend more time in verse 29 today. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So let's break this verse down a little bit. Take. You have a choice whether you take it or not. Jesus is not saying, I'll give you my yoke. He says, you take my yoke. This is not automatic, and this should let, also should let you know you can take it one day and not take it the next. You can take his yoke on Sunday, but on Monday, you can leave it alone and do your own thing. This is up to you. It's not automatic. It is a choice you make every day and throughout the day. Because you could take it in the morning, and then someone ticks you off at the office and throw it off. It's your choice. It's your decision. A lot of times we want to blame God. Well, God didn't do this for me. It has nothing to do with God. God already did everything. It's you. Well, the devil really tried me today. It may not have been him. It might have been you. One of the greatest things and one of the first things God gave humanity was choice. What will you do with your choice when it comes to taking upon the yoke of Jesus? Now, notice he called it my yoke. This should let you know a couple different things. Oxen were yoked together, right? Right? It's not a deep question. 
Kurt, I'm going to have you use this example. Help me with this example. So look what Jesus is implying here. He is with you. Because it can't, you can't be yoked together, and he's right here, and I'm all the way over here. If you're yoked with Jesus, he's with you. He's close to you. And see, I'm going to use Kurt because, you know, he's super strong, and I always tell him I'm going to mess with him one day from the pulpit that he does like 5,000 push-ups a day, something like that. No, okay. <laughs> trying to get to your level. Trying to get to your level, man. So we're yoked together. Jesus is saying, I'm yoked with you. Take my yoke, and I'll be right there with you. But also, number two, he's saying, work with me. He's saying, you do it by yourself. He's saying, work with me. We'll do this together. We'll be yoked together. I'll help you every day. Not just on the deep spiritual things, but everything that is individual in your life. All the small things that you don't think really matter to God. It matters to God because it matters to you. So Jesus is saying, I'm with you. Work with me, and we'll get it done together. Because Jesus says you can't do anything by yourself. Because anything you do by yourself, Jesus said, and John will turn out to be nothing. So work with me. So one of the things about being yoked, the issue is if one oxen is strong and the other is weak, the harm doesn't go to the weak oxen. It goes to the strong oxen. That's why the Bible says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's why you have no business dating unbelievers. Because what's going to happen is the harm's not coming to the unbeliever. It's coming to the believer. There shouldn't be any missionary dating in your life. I'm going to win them to Jesus. Yeah, right. They're going to win you to hell, but that's another message. <laughs> Hold on a second. Look, look, dating seriously. How many women have said, well, he'll come to church after we get married. You know, he'll eventually do this. He'll eventually do that. 50 years. He still ain't there. If God can't change a man, why do you think you can? <laughs> Don't get yoked with people you ain't supposed to be with. Well, what if I end up alone? At least you won't end up with crazy. Being alone in peace is better than being with someone who is a child of hell. <laughs> you have to learn how to be okay by yourself. He said, a lot of people say, I'm looking for my better half. Oh, so you're broken? You're not complete? So you're looking for another half. So you say, I'm looking for another broken person. Let's go be broke together. Let's go have issues together. You know, I saw this meme that's going around. It says, you know, marry someone who you can break generational curses with together. Why don't you break them before you get married? Why are you trying to jump into drama? How about you handle the drama before you jump in? See, a lot of things sound good. They sound popular, but they're crazy when you break it down. That he said, well, he, he's spiritual. Demons are spirits too. We need a little bit more clarification. Well, he lifted his hand at church. They lift hands at Jay-Z concerts, so we need a little bit more. That means you got to watch somebody's life over a period of time. 
But if you're always sleeping with him and having sex with him, you can't see what he's actually doing. Because you're blind. You need to take some time and watch his life. Watch her life. Pay attention how they act. How do they treat others? How do they treat their parents? They have kids, how do they treat their kids? How do they treat their siblings? Watch them under pressure. Watch how they handle when they have extra money come in. Watch what happens to that money. Let's say they get the refund check come in. Watch how long it lasts. Oh, y'all don't want me to go there. Because some people are refund check ballers. They broke one day. That check gets there. They're living on top of the world. And one week later, they broke again. Because the thing is, people's like, well, they're going to manage money better once we get married because I'm going to help them. You just be frustrated. So you watch spending habits. And before you get married, you should know their credit score. Well, that's not romantic, but it'll save you a headache. These are things you need to look at and know. That means you need to take time while you date. There's some questions you need to ask. And if you don't have the answer, that means you need to take some time and think about it. Have an answer. Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers or fake Christians. I'm not talking about believers who struggle. I'm talking about believers who just behave badly because that's what they want to do. Believers, as we hear, talk about in 1130, who are sowing the wrong seeds so they reap the wrong harvest. People are like, well, why does bad things happen to good people? Good people sow bad seed. See, the justice of God is seed time and harvest. What you sow, you will reap. So don't hook yourself up to someone who's always sowing bad seed. You're going to share a harvest. Because it means once you get married, you're one. So you've signed up with whatever you sow. I'm relatively reap with you. Be careful who you hook up with. Well... You know, that must have been for someone on the internet who just happened to tune by. No one in here, I know. Just look forward, shout amen. No one knows that it hit you right where you are. It's like, well, pastor, stepped on my toes. Pull your feet back in. So anywho, Jesus said, work with me. And so when you're unequally yoked, the strong one takes the pain. Even in some situations, it can kill the strong oxen. See, I'm back on it, but... That's why there are people who start out strong Christians, they date the wrong person, marry the wrong person, their spiritual life gets killed. But in the case of us and Jesus, Jesus is the strong one. We are the weak ones. But Jesus already died for you and got back up again. Nothing's killing him again. Death has no more power over him. So although you're the weak one connected to the strong one, because of who you're connected with, the weak can say, I'm strong. The poor can say, I'm rich. Why? Who I'm connected with, who I'm working with, who I'm walking with. It's not me by myself. It's not my strength. It's not my energy. It is the strength. It is the power of the almighty God who I'm hooked up with, who I'm yoked with, who says, let's do this thing together. Thanks, Dick. So understand, you are hooked up with Jesus. You're yoked with Jesus. 1 Corinthians 6 says you're one spirit with Jesus. That's why you're not supposed to be sleeping around. It says, how are you making the body of Christ members of a hoe? First Corinthians chapter 6, y'all got to read the Bible. <laughs> oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> so work with Jesus. Let Jesus be involved with the everyday life. Notice the next phrase Jesus said in this verse. Learn 
of me. Jesus is with you, and he wants to teach you. See, John 14, 25 and 26 says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter, who is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatever I said to you. So through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is teaching you in everyday life. But one of the things the Holy Spirit also does, he reminds you anything Jesus said to you. So Jesus says, learn of me. So Jesus is about to share his way of living, and if we live that way, we will experience rest for our souls, which is our mind, our will, and the control center of our emotions. So Jesus says, the first part, I am meek. First, we'll start here. Meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. Greek scholar Reverend Rick Renner defines the Greek word for meekness as the attitude or demeanor of a person who is forbearing, patient, and slow to respond in anger. It is one who remains in control of himself in the face of insults or injuries. You don't just lose it because someone said something bad about you. You don't lose it just because someone's tweeted something or subtweeted about you. You control yourself. You control your emotions. Reverend Renner shares that in the Greek language, the word conveys the idea of a high and noble ideal to be aspired to in one's life. Although an injurious situation may normally produce a rash or angry outburst, a meek person is controlled by kindness, gentleness, mildness, or even friendliness. This word for meekness pictures a strong-willed person who has learned to submit his will to a higher authority. He isn't weak, he's controlled. In rare instances, this word was used to describe wild animals that had become tame because it correctly conveyed the idea of a wild, fierce will under control. So Jesus says, learn of me, I am meek. I have my emotions in control. I have submitted my emotions and my will to a higher authority. I've learned not to respond just because someone says something bad about me. I learned not to burst out in anger just because a situation didn't go my way. He says, I am meek. Then he says, lowly in heart means humble. Biblical humility is thinking of yourself as God thinks about you. As Paul says, you're not supposed to think of yourself more highly than you ought. This doesn't mean you're not supposed to think of yourself highly. This is not more highly than you ought. Well, what's highly than I ought when you're looking down on somebody else? The only time you look down on someone is you're helping them up. So you should think highly of yourself, but not in a way that causes you to look down on others. Biblical humility is thinking about yourself as God thinks about you. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. You are anointed. You are blessed. You are highly favored. You are great. You are strong in the Lord and the power of his might. That's biblical humility, thinking of yourself that way. But also, it's an accurate portrayal of yourself. See, a lot of times, we judge ourselves by our intent and judge others by their actions. I'll say that again. A lot of times... We judge ourselves by what we intended to do, but we judge others for what they actually did, so this unrighteous judgment on our part. See, I thought this was next week or later on. See, you have to be careful who you judge, because however you judge will be judged back to you. Let's say this. this is the most political thing I think I'm going to say today. I don't care what the president says. Watch your mouth, because you could say, well, I can't believe he tweeted that. That's unpresidential. I'm sure you tweeted and said some stuff <laughs> that you don't want other people to respond to. So what you do when you judge anybody, the president or anybody else, about what they do, 
unrighteously? What is unrighteous judgment? Holding someone to one standard you won't hold yourself to. You've opened the door for someone to come and judge you. Because Satan is legalistic. He's like, oh, they judge someone unrighteously. I'm coming for them. And you wonder why all these haters show up in your life. You opened your mouth. Just keep it shut. You don't have to comment on everything. Even though it's a social media age and say comment, post, you don't got to comment on anything and everything. Some of you just need to comment stuff to Jesus. You know, I've seen some stuff, uh, different political officials, they tweet or post, and I'll look at it. And you know, there's times like, you know what, that is just so stupid. I remember one time specifically, I looked at it, and I'm like, Jesus, you see this? I'm just taking this straight to you. I'm just point it right up there. You don't have to respond to everything and share your opinion with everybody. Everybody doesn't need to know your opinion. Opinions are like butts. Everybody's got one. Watch how you judge, because the same way you judge, Jesus said, you will be judged. So biblical humility is accurate understanding of yourself where you are and seeing yourself as the Bible sees you. It is not a prideful life. Is not a life of being full of yourself. So Jesus had a right to be full of himself. He is perfect. He is the son of God. There were a thousand years of prophecy pointing to him, so he, he had the right to go, yeah, I am the man, literally, because I am the son of man, and I made man. But Jesus said, I'm not full of myself. I'm not full of pride. So Jesus had accurate portrayal of himself, and he wasn't looking down on others when he had the right to look down on others. So the uncontrolled emotional and prideful life will rob you of real rest. Living with your emotions in control and living with an accurate view of yourself will enable you to live the life of rest that Jesus has for you. This life will cause your mind, will, and emotions to experience rest. But if your emotions are already out of control, you won't experience the rest that comes from Jesus. You have to learn to control your emotions. You have to learn to control your mouth. You don't always have to respond. You don't always have to react. You know, there was a time when they were trying to get Jesus to react to a situation they brought to him a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And they're trying to make Jesus react. They even use biblical foundation. Well, the law says this. The law says that. What should we do, Jesus? What would you do, Jesus? They're trying to pressure Jesus to react. Do you know what he did? Ignored them. Start writing on the ground. We don't know what he was writing. He could have been writing responses. He could have been drawing a pretty picture. The Bible doesn't tell us what he was doing. But he ignored them. And he only said something when his father told him to say it. And it says, well, one of you who was without sin cast the first stone and went back to writing on the ground. And they all left. And Jesus told the woman, where are your accusers? She said, they left. He said, neither do I find fault in you. Now go and sin no more. But notice... Jesus didn't respond to their questions. You don't have to respond to the social media craze of always posting what you think, always saying what you think. You do not have to do that. Some of you, if you need a great revelation, just turn off your Instagram account. Just take a break from Twitter and Facebook. Now, don't announce, I'm taking a break from Facebook, everybody. No. Please don't. That's just so many different things. Just take a break. Detox especially if you have an issue of always posting everything you think. Because, well, I didn't say it, but you posted it, and so you still activate the same law of unrighteous judgment. 
Culture is always one thing. Watch how you engage with it. We're in the world, but not of the world. So number one, we said work with Jesus. Number two, engage or capture erroneous thoughts and emotions. Number two, engage or capture erroneous thoughts and emotions. This includes wrong thinking about yourself. Being full of yourself is wrong thinking about yourself. Thinking about yourself as an unworthy dog is wrong thinking about yourself. Think biblically and accurately about yourself is correct thinking. So if you have a thought that pops up in your mind that is not who you are, a prideful thought, a thought that's saying you're always going to be like this because of this, that, and the other, take that thought capture, as Paul tells us. Don't think on that thought. Refuse to let that thought stay. Your emotions are trying to get the best of you. No, keep your emotions in control. There are lying thoughts. What are lying thoughts? When the enemy sends thoughts your way, they didn't come from your mind, they come from your soul. The enemy tried to get you to, he just shots, hoping it'll catch it, seeing if he'll take it. But don't take those thoughts. But there's also lying emotions. That you're cool and all of a sudden you got angry about something. You're like, I don't even know why I'm getting angry. Make a decision, no, I can get angry. I'm not getting stressed. I'm not going to worry about this. No, I'm keeping my emotions in control. So engage or capture erroneous thoughts and emotions. Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, and not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. So notice the power and the control you have over your own heart and soul, over your own mind and emotions. You have the decision-making ability to decide if you'll be troubled, and that word means agitated, to lose your calmless mind, to become disquieted, to become anxious, to become distressed, to become restless. Is a mind perplexed by doubt. You have the control if you let your mind and your soul get that way. You have the choice whether you're going to be afraid or not. You say, well, this happened in my life, so I'm afraid. Notice, I am afraid. You took responsibility and you allowed yourself to be afraid. Something could have happened and fear could have been right there, but you decide whether you're going to take it or not. You have the control. You can control whether you are anxious. You can decide if your mind will stay calm. Remember, Jesus said having our emotions in control is a way to experience his rest. Living in fear and anxiety is not a restful existence. It's a stressful existence and not a restful existence. Go to 1 Peter chapter 5 with me. 1 Peter chapter 5. Work with Jesus. You're yoked with, to him. Engage or capture erroneous thoughts and emotions. So keep going this way. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 8. It says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. The idea of casting comes from the ancient times when they would have donkeys or camels that would travel with them, and they would put the heavy load on the donkey or the camel. So it wouldn't break the back of the man or woman walking alongside of it. The donkey and the camel is meant to carry it. They call them beasts of burden for a reason. They can carry the burden without breaking. So what is Jesus saying here? Let me be your beast of burden. I'm with you. I'm working with you. Don't carry things too heavy for you. See, that's why worry and care and anxiety breaks down your physical body. You were never meant to carry it. Amen. Jesus says, give me the care. 
Give me the worry. Give me the anxiety. Now, yes, you handle what you need to do in the natural. You have your natural responsibilities. You have the spiritual one. But when you pray, take the worry, take the care, give it to Jesus, and leave it there. How do you leave it there? You make a decision not to touch it with your thought life. What do you mean? Stop thinking about it, especially thinking about it in a wrong way. Because after you make a decision of faith, I'm giving my worry, my care, and anxiety to give to Jesus, five minutes later or less, that thought will come back. And you can stress about it and take it right back off the altar where you left it. A lot of people are good at casting the cares, but they're even better at picking it back up again. You got to leave it there. And every time the temptation to worry, because it is a temptation to worry, comes back, he's like, no, I'm not going to worry. Nope, I'm not going to stress. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've handed it to Jesus, and he takes care of me. So you cast all your cares upon your caretaker because you have a caretaker. And he always takes care of you in grand style. So you give him your cares. He cares for you. Sometimes you have to say, I can't tell you how much I don't care. Well, don't you know what's about to happen? You know what? I don't care. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to stress. Because what is worrying going to do about it anyways? Jesus said, you can't worry and make yourself grow taller. Your worry ain't going to change nothing. So you can either worry and stress and break down your body, and as a result, go stress eat. And eat all the things you know you're not supposed to because you're stressed. And then you get upset with yourself. Oh, now i got to lose this weight. And so now you put yourself in a cycle where you're consistently frustrated because you haven't managed your stress correctly. He's like, well, I'm going to live a life and no stress is going to come my way. That doesn't happen. You're in this world. Stress is coming your way. But how you manage it is up to you. You can handle stress with skill if you learn how to cast it. You must, people say, you know, especially parents, well, you know, it's good for me to worry about my children. No, it's not. You worry about your children, you open the door for hell to, accop, uh, to manifest your worry. Now, you think about them, you protect them, you're cautious with them, you do everything, you know, to protect them and keep them safe, but you're not going to worry about it. You cover them with the blood of Jesus when they leave your house. You only send them to schools the Holy Ghost told you to send them to. You only let them go to parties the Holy Ghost said they can go to parties to. You don't let them go to events the Holy Ghost said. If the, you have any spirit, you don't have peace about it, don't let them out that house. See, the thing is, a lot of times people try to enforce their rules when the, the kids are already teenagers, and that's why the teenagers rebel against the rule. You have to tell your kids as they grow up, we follow the lead in the spirit. We don't just go where we want to go, where we think we should go. We check in with him first. So now they have 10 to 15 years of foundation of you saying that. So by the time they're a teenager, you tell them, hey, I don't have peace with that. I don't have a lead in my spirit about that. It's not something new for them. They've learned it. They may be frustrated or upset, but at least they're safe. But what you're also doing is you're teaching them the habit of checking in with the Spirit of God before you go places. You know, before I go to the movies, I check in with the Spirit of God. Can I go to this show and at this time at this theater? Why? People are crazy. I just want to enjoy the Avengers. I plan on seeing the Lion King. But at the right theater, at the right time, with the least amount of crazy people. I want to enjoy my experience, so I'm checking in with the Spirit of God. Before I buy flights, and I was, we're purchasing the flights going to Africa coming up, and I say, like, is this okay flight? Is it okay that we stop in this area? Is it okay we travel this way? Why? Because a lot of people try to get into these situations, and then they rely on mercy, claiming the blood of Jesus, Psalm 91 protection, where Psalm 91 protection would have existed if you just checked in with the Holy Ghost beforehand. 
Cast your care upon him because he cares for you. Be sober and be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, didn't say he is one, but he acts like one, walks about seeking whom he may devour. If there's whoms he can devour, there's whoms he can't devour. Satan can devour those who are consumed with worry and anxiety. So if you're full of worry and anxiety and you carry all your cares, you've made yourself a target for Satan. Mark 4 shares that the cares of this world, the same worry and anxiety, are a tactic of Satan to rob the production of the word in your life. Meaning, the word could be working in your life, the word could be producing, but you decide to take the care and the worry and anxiety that comes in the world on your life, it will stop the word from working. Which will lead you to a place where it looks like your life never received the word in the first place. So people are like, well, I don't know why this faith stuff's not working for me. What else are you working besides faith? Are you working worry, care, and anxiety? You've killed the production of the word in your life. You have to let go of your cares and give them to Jesus. Number three, let go of your cares and give to Jesus. So here's what's going to happen. I'm sure it's going to happen this week because I'm preaching on it. Mark chapter 4 says Satan comes to steal the word. So I'm preaching on it, so I'm going to let you know in advance, Satan's going to try you this week. He may try you before you leave the parking lot. He's coming to steal the word. He may bring up a situation to you where you're going to be tempted to worry, to care, or stress. So the situation happens, and here's the enemy with some worry for you, with some care for you, with some stress for you. It is your choice whether you take it or not. The situation already happened. You have to figure out how to deal with it. But are you going to take the stress? Are you going to take the worry? Are you going to take the care? It's right there. Are you going to take it and hold on to it? See, some of you probably should play for the NFL. <laughs> the way you hurry, hold on to worry, care, and stress, you don't even need any blockers to block you. You got this by yourself. But you got to make a decision. You know what? I'm not holding on to it. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to give it to Jesus, and I'm leaving it. Let go of your cares and give them to Jesus. Say, let go of your cares and give them to Jesus. To live and rest, you must make a decision to give all of your worry and anxiety to Jesus. Take your care and give it to him. Take every anxious thought captive. Don't let it run around your head unchecked. As Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things have a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. You must control your thought life. You must control your emotions. Teach your kids this while they're young. I teach my toddler this. She's a toddler. I'm like, control your emotions right now. Get your life. It's like, you told a toddler to get your life? Yes. Because I don't want to try to teach her to control her emotions when she's a teenager. I want her to be practiced on controlling her emotions before she ever hits those teenage years. Matthew eleven thirty, 30, going to what Jesus said here. For my yoke is easy. That word means better. My yoke is better. My yoke is more kind. My yoke is more pleasant. And my burden, my load, my obligations, what I require you to do, is light in comparison to everything else in the world. Jesus' way of living is a better way of living. It is a kinder way of living. It is a more pleasant way of living. Jeremiah 6.16 says, I'm going to read it for a second time. 
Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths, where is the good way and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Go back and do what God told you to do. Some people are trying to look for something new, but he didn't do the first thing. If you go and do what God told you to do, it'll be less stressful than the path you are pursuing. Number four, learn and do Jesus' way. Learn and do Jesus' way. Do what he tells you to do. Work with him. Engage or capture erroneous thoughts and actions. Let go of your cares and give them to Jesus. Learn and do Jesus' way. Hebrews 4, 9, 11 says, There remains therefore rest to the people of God. We'll get more into this in the series. For he that has entered into rest has ceased also from his own labors, as God did from his. Let us labor or work therefore to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. It's work to rest and stay in rest. So work to do so. Make it your job to control your emotions. Make it your job to stay at peace in your mind. Make it your job to stay humble in your own mind. Not to make others humble, but keep yourself humble in your own mind. Make it your job to control your thoughts. Jesus has rest for you. Work to stay in that place of rest. Receiving rest from Jesus is not about if Jesus is willing to give it. It flows from him. Receiving rest from Jesus is about if you put yourself in position to receive it. So as we said last week, R, recognize Jesus. E, expect Jesus. S, spend time praying in the Spirit. T, take time to do it daily. And today, W, work with Jesus. E, engage or capture erroneous emotions and thoughts. L, let go of the cares and give them to Jesus. And the other L, learn and do Jesus' way. Rest well. Rest well. Rest flows from Jesus. You might as well receive it. You don't have to get all the stress and the worry and the care of the world. The world can be in a state of panic, but you can be in a state of peace. Because Jesus is your oasis. So you might as well rest well. You don't just have to experience rest when you get to heaven. There's rest for you now. That as you work for the Lord, as you do the things he's called you to do, you can stay in a place of rest. I've heard it said before, one of the highest levels of faith is rest. One of the highest levels of faith is rest. That's why sometimes God can do more when y'all take a nap and go to sleep than you can do while you're awake. Because you got out of his way. But if you live in rest, you won't step in his way. And God can do things for you all the time because you didn't get in his way. A lot of people say, oh, my haters are getting in my way. No, it's not your haters. God can plow through your haters. But you made a decision to hold them up because you wanted to stress and worry. See, we're going to take communion today, but as we take communion, I want to remind you that he is your high priest. He died for you, got up again, and from him flows rest. Communion is covenant elements, and part of your covenant blessing is rest from Jesus. So when we take communion in a few moments, remember that rest belongs to you. You might as well receive it. Amen. 
I hope you enjoyed today's message. Thank you once again for tuning in today. You know, if you enjoyed the message, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel, download our Faith Christian Center Georgia app, as well as follow us on social media. And if you want to partner with us as a ministry, you can text FCCJ to 73256. That's FCCJ to 73256. And you can give financially to support this ministry and what we do here in the metro Atlanta area as well as all around the world. Once again, thank you for tuning in today, and I'll see you next time.